speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. Guess I got ahead of myself on my high fives, didn't I? But that's all right. I'm just so glad to see all of you this morning. Glad to see our young people. It's great to have them here. Pray for our Wednesday night thing as it gets rolling. And uh, it's just awesome. Oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about that later. We are in the third chapter of the book of Colossians. Just have a few more Sundays. We'll finish August in the book of Colossians, and then we'll roll into September. And as we roll into September, I want you to take a look at the upcoming series. I hope. <laughs> I pray to God. I don't think he's really listening to me. So they tell me that I'm supposed to have a personal relationship with God. What does that mean? I don't even have a personal relationship with my wife. Is he really going to be there for me when I need him? Yeah, I read the Bible. Parts of it. I believe somewhat what the Bible says. I still want to go out and have a good time. Just because I believe in Jesus doesn't mean I'm going to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But I don't want to be a freak about it. Are you what you say you are? Well, we're going to find out. We've got a lot of folks running loose calling themselves Christians, but are they really what they are? <laughs> well, come in September and you're going to find out. We'll start that second Sunday of September with this series. So get ready. Get ready. The theme of the book of Colossians is that Jesus is all-sufficient and preeminent as our Savior. We need nothing else. And he demonstrates that further. Last week we talked about the characteristics that we should put on, the kind of clothing that we should wear as Christians. And it should be obvious by the way we live, by the way we carry ourselves, today He's going to nail all of us. What I'm going to say to you in just a little while, God has beat me up about this week. Because we're going to talk about husbands and wives and children and employers and employees. Ooh, mercy. We're going to cover it all today. So I'm, put your hard hat on. Put your hard-toed shoes on so I don't have to step on your toes too bad. And let's go on this ride because it's good, it's good stuff. And because my feet have been hurting all week, I want to share that load with you. So here we go. Let's start at verse 18. Number one, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> Why do we always start there? Well, I don't know. Paul did, so that's where it is. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, what does the word submit really mean? Well, it's the Greek word hupostaso, and it means to arrange under, subordinate, put in subjection, subject oneself, obey, yield to one's advice or caution. Powerful word. Powerful word, this word submit. And wives are to be in submission to their husbands, according to Ephesians 5.22, as to the Lord. And in Colossians, he says it would be fitting in the Lord that you submit to your husband. 
And that word fitting is on a coal, and it means, and it pertains to duty. That is, that is what is fitting to duty. That's what wives should do out of duty and service is submit to their husbands. Be willing to submit to one another, Jesus taught us in Matthew 20. It carries on the same theme throughout Scripture. We are to submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. We are to submit to those who rule over us in the faith, Hebrews 13.17. We are to submit to the ordinances of government, 1 Peter 2. In fact, I, I encourage you, whether you, no matter what political persuasion you are, we should pray for our leaders. When you encourage me, instead of standing before you to complain about our city council, you encourage me to encourage them, I began to write letters to them of encouragement. And I write the letter and I tell them that you have a friend across the street at River Oaks Christian Church. And we are praying for you that you will make good decisions, that you will make godly decisions, and that you will always remember that Jesus loves you. No matter what you do or say, He loves you with an everlasting love. And I began to send that out. And over the weeks and over the months, it was amazing how my spirit changed about all of them. It's not so much that I saw them change, I saw me change. And really, that's the beautiful part of the whole story, is that I needed to change and not be antagonistic. And so, even on a national level, and boy, I tell you, there's been, on TV, you could see a lot of outrage, huh? But you know what? I still have to pray for those leaders that we have right now. God allowed certain leaders to rule over the children of Israel when those children were disobedient. Well, America has strayed. And so it's not surprising to me that we don't have a leadership that might, God might have put in place to get the Christians, us believers, to come back to God. Can I get an amen there? Because it's true. Happens all the time. Even in your own life. When things happen in your life that, that you can't explain. When, when job situations, when relationships go sour, it's a time for introspection, is it not? It's time to look in here and see, is there anything that I'm doing or could have done that could have prevented this from happening? And that's good. Self-assessment is always good. But when you measure that self-assessment against the Word of God, it's even better. Because there you find the hope, there you find the principles, and here we are this morning learning about those. But we should submit to ordinance of government. Christian servants were to submit to their masters, 1 Peter 2. Younger Christians were to submit to the elders, to one another as well, 1 Peter 5. If wives don't submit to their husbands, according to 1 Peter 3, they may never win that unbelieving husband to Christ. You're not to be unequally yoked in the first place. But if you marry somebody and you're not a saved, and, and one of them becomes saved, especially the wife, if she learns submission to the husband, she will lead him to God. You might say, what? <laughs> Works. Seen it happen way too many times. Way too many times. Secondly, wives, God will not be gracious to you, according to 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. So, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Now, let's go to verse 19. Isn't it interesting that Paul didn't wait, waste too much time jumping on 
the husbands. Now that I've beat the wives up and I'm in trouble with them, let me go get in trouble with the husbands. Husbands, number two, love your wives and do not be harsh or bitter with them. Paul expanded on that idea in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. Our role model is Christ, men. And His love for the church is how we should treat our wives. And He was willing to die for that church. He was willing to sacrifice for that church. He was willing to stand firm with that church. Never gave up on that church. Can that be said of our wives and how they view us? As husbands. Another example Paul uses in Ephesians 5 is how we should how, how we should love our own bodies. I know men that will stop and look in the mirror just to see how good they look. I stopped that a long time ago. I work out at All American. I don't know if you call what I do working out, but it's I'm there. All right. I'm moving my body around a little bit. But I never have quite understood why they have to have these mirrors all over the wall. So you can sit there and look at yourself. Not really what I want to do. But boy, there's a lot of people that do. You ever, you've seen them, haven't you? They'll stop and they'll, they'll, they'll glance at themselves. We were at a restaurant the other night celebrating our 32nd wedding anniversary. I was, in, I was excited about that, being with this little girl for 32 years and we were sitting there and a little and the waitress came up she kept looking at herself in the mirror while she was at, getting our order I thought hmm this should be fun I started to throw a curve but I thought nah Cindy will get mad at me so I'll just leave it alone but we need to it says Paul describes husbands should love their wives just like you love yourself just as one nourishes and cherishes his own body he should his own wife. And that word nourish means to nourish to maturity, to bring up. So men, you should bring up that wife. You should nourish that wife. You should give her what she needs in every facet of what that means, what she needs. I'm not talking just in the physical realm, in the sexual realm. You know, oh, wait, you've got little kids in here. They need to hear it here at church. They're going to get it on the internet. They already know. They know more than you do. Ask them. They'll tell you. Some of these guys have been in the van and some of the conversations. Bree came in this summer. She goes, Pastor, you just won't believe what the conversation we've been having. Is. I said, yeah, I would too. Because they talk about this stuff. Oh, my gosh. Going in and out of the boys, going in the girls' bathroom, the girls going out of the boys' bathroom. Yeah. These guys. Not these guys. These guys. Over here told on them didn't I they thought I didn't know there's more I could tell you that went on that day but I won't because it'd scare you to death because you see they're grabbing it early they're getting it early and if we don't tell them the balance that God wants us to have we're in deep trouble sex is supposed to wait till marriage if you get ahead of the game, you got guilt, and he never intended for that to happen. But man, listen, you wait till you're married. How? Oh, 
Oh, it's awesome. You might say, well, preacher, I'm too late now. No. Because what the locusts have eaten away, God can restore. (laughs) The beautiful part about the cross is no matter what mistake you make in life, He forgives you and restores you and heals you. (laughs) Eh? I'll, I'll pause. There we go. All right. Now, the word cherish also in this passage to warm, to keep warm. It, it shows that fostering of tender care. It's just the picture. Men, he's telling us to be this way toward our wives. Satan did a great deal on me yesterday. Knowing I was going to preach this message today, Cindy and I got into one of those like husbands and wives do. Isn't that amazing? Knowing I was going to preach this today. So I made sure that I repented to her. It's not her fault. It's my fault for not controlling what I said. I don't care how angry you get. Amen? That's what I loved about football. When I finally learned that I have power when I don't react to those guys trash talking me. I started just smiling at them. Had to eat some up worse than that. That's what David does. He'll annihilate them and then they say something. He just smiles at them and walks away. They don't know what to do with him. But they're scared spitless. Men, if you will start to treat your wife this way, ooh, brother, that's some excitement in your house. He goes on to say about bitterness. Love includes being free from bitterness. He says, don't be bitter in verse 19. Don't be bitter toward them. And that Greek word bitter means to produce a bitter taste in the stomach. Boy, is that not... How many of you can go over there? Bitter taste in the stomach. My my mother-in-law is a good cook. But she made a Christmas goodie cookie item that had... It's one of those concoctions where you never know what's really in it, but it's got everything in it. And you cut it into, it makes it in a sheet, and you cut it into, and you take it, you take a bite, and it's just got every taste imaginable, except this was so awesome. I have never in my life spit food out, obviously. I have, you know. But that day, that stuff got spit out. It was bad. And if she ever made it again, mm-mm-mm, I pass it on to anybody else that wants it. Not me. And it's just one of those things. But that bitter taste. Our relationship with our wives, men, should be so that she doesn't have a bitter taste in her stomach. So when she sees us, she goes, oh. Instead of she should go, hey. Hey, guys, when's the last time you got the hey? hey? Huh? Been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, my wedding day. That's it. Yeah. So we got to work at it, don't we? We've got to work at it. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter gives us insights as to why it's important not to have, to have bitterness toward our wives. They are more delicate in partnership. The Bible describes them as the weaker vessel, not in strength, but in the way that God made them. God made them to be nurturers. God made them to not carry a gun and fight in war. 
He made them because they sense stuff around them. They are feeling driven. You walk into a store, any store, any place, and if you're shopping with your wife, you see what you want, you go to what you want, and you buy that right then. Not her. Hers are feeling oriented. She's going after a skirt. But as she's raffling through the 4,000th skirt, she finds the right one, holds it up, and while she's holding it up, on the other side of the store is the glimpse of the color that fits that skirt. And so she over there and rifles through those 4,000 blouses to find the one that matches this. Then she turns and sees the shoes. And now she's got to have the shoes that match this stuff. Then she turns and sees the accessories that need to go with all this. Men, we don't do that. You need a white dress shirt, button-down collar, go get it. Right? And if they don't have the right price, you go to another store. You don't stand there and haggard with them. You just go to another store. Oh, not her. They're emotionally driven about all of it. Kids have to look right. That's wild. I mean, the kids have to have the, yeah, everything has to, backpack has to look good. And the second day, it's all tore up anyway. They're emotionally driven. Bitterness with your wife will make her coarse and resentful. And it lends toward creating an environment for that dysfunctional family. Remember, they are heirs together of the grace of life. In Christ, they are not just wives. They are our sisters, worthy of love and honor and not bitterness. How we treat them men determines the effectiveness of our prayers. If you want your prayers answered, men, you better treat your wife the way Christ treats the church. Ooh. Now, verse 20. He doesn't waste any time getting on kids. <laughs> okay, beat up the wives, beat up the husband. Now I'm going to beat up the kids a little bit. Here we go. Children, number three, obey your parents in everything. Yeah, listen to those, Amy. <laughs> For this pleases the Lord. Children, what's the value of that obedience? Well, Luke 2, Jesus demonstrated that you should do that. He obeyed his mother and dad and went with them. That's what Luke 2 said. Now, he disappeared. Three days later, they found him. But he didn't argue with them. He said, okay, I'll go with you. He's only 12. Get your little self on you knothead. That's a loose translation of the Greek there. You knothead, get over here. Jesus didn't argue with them. He said, look, I'm the son of God. I can do whatever I want. Unlike kids today. Have you ever seen kids today, how they treat their parents? Oh, my goodness. I love to watch my children, who are adults now, how they watch kids misbehaving. And they always look, if I'm in their presence, they always look to see what I'm doing. And I'm watching them. And they can't, they can't take it. They say, how are they getting away with that? You, didn't, you never let us get away with that. I said, that's right. Mark swears up and down right now that his ACL tear in his knee was because I kept grabbing him on the knee. <laughs> I said, whatever. And it weakened his knee joint somehow. <laughs> I said, yeah, but you listened, didn't you? 
See, I quit yelling at them. I quit beating on them. I just grabbed them around the knee and squeezed on that pressure points on each side of the knee. Woo, man. You, right now, you got their attention. Parents, it's a great, great tool. Try it. Try it. Well, they're too big. I can't get my hand around his knee. Well, pinch him on the ear. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. But children, obey your parents. There's value in that. In fact, it's in Ephesians 6, it's the, it, it contains an important promise. It says you're going to live to be an old person if you obey your parents. If you can't obey your parents, how in the world do you expect, young people, to obey Jesus? You won't do it. Well, I, you know, well, they're stupid. They don't know anything. I know. Wait till you're one of them, <laughs> and you will be too. <laughs> yep, dumber than a brick. Because that's the way all kids look at their parents. But if you shift that and change the way you look at them, wow, tremendous things can happen. Rebellious spirits can leave. And parents, parents are overwhelmed because there's seriousness about rebelliousness. God viewed the lack of obedience in the Old Testament on a par with witchcraft and idolatry in 1 Samuel chapter 15. He punished, he talked about the punishment in some cases of rebellious children was death in Deuteronomy chapter 21. If we still practice the Old Testament concept, everybody in this room this morning would not be here. Because my dad, my mom would have done had me <laughs> killed because of my rebellious spirit. You see, but what I love about the cross is though I have a rebellious spirit, he still loves me. That's what I love about your parents, young people. Is though you have a rebellious spirit, they still love you. Are they grieved and disappointed? Absolutely. But they still love you. That's the God I love. That's the God I know. That's the Jesus who died for me. Now jump down to verse 21. He heaps on hammering. Fathers, he comes back to the dads here. <laughs> Fathers, do not embitter, don't provoke your children, or they will become discouraged. Fathers, you have an awesome, awesome responsibility. You are to understand and be compassionate yet firm. Joshua stood strong with resolve for his family in Joshua 24. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You go do whatever you want to do, rebellious nation, but we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, we need a remnant of families who will stand up and serve the Lord. Don't walk with the world. Walk away from the world. Don't give in to the pressures. Stand with the Word of God. Because He's ready to stand with you. He's ready to save you. He's ready to help you. Eli was condemned because of his failure to restrain his sons in 1 Samuel 3. We have the responsibility, according to Ephesians 6, 4, to provide spiritual training for our children. So parents, when you don't get your kids to church to get them taught, shame on you. Well, you don't really have anything for them. Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, they're sitting in here this morning. Are they getting anything? They're getting something. Are you with me so far? You see, we have a responsibility to, go, to teach them beyond these walls. Ooh, 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 ooh. You mean I, I've got to act like a Christian all the time? 
Eh, it's up to you. If you want your kids to turn out okay, eh, you might want to consider. If you ask all of our teachers that are in this church, ask them what they face with parents. <laughs> they don't have any problem with the kids. It's the parents or the kids. Yeah, they didn't say too, amen too loud. <laughs> Some of you are in their classes. Okay. Here's a great quote I found. A child tends to look upon the heavenly father as he does the earthly father. If his earthly father is kind, loving, just, forgiving, and good, a child will perceive of God as the same. If, on the other hand, the earthly father is cruel, unloving, unkind, the child will perceive the heavenly father in the same manner. Is that not true? They tend to model what they see modeled in front of them. You can say it all you want to. Do as I say, not as I do. And look mean and ugly. You know how dads can do that. Barnett, don't do this now. Don't smoke now. I'll kill you. Right? Oh, yeah. That's a great example. Pop that top on that beer kit. Now, don't be drinking that beer, boy. Right? You get up and slap your wife around a little bit. Ah, you shouldn't be cruel to women. Well, what are you showing him? What are you showing them? Why don't you have them at church where you're opening the Word of God in front of them? Why don't they see you sitting in your chair instead of the TV being on, you're opening the Word of God and you're reading the Word of God? Hey, now we're doing something. Now we're doing something. And I love it when you as parents come to me and say, hey, if my kid's messing up, I want to know. And then I'm going to ask you another question. Do you really? Because when I come and tell you, don't jump on me about it. Don't jump on me about it. Jump on your knothead kid about it. Because see, that knothead kid, they're sitting there going, I didn't do it. Oh, the angel comes up, right? The halo. <laughs> well, I could tell you more about that day <laughs> than I won't. It's scary death. But see, they're doing, they're doing the things they do, no matter what age they are. As kids, they're doing what they do because the peers around them tell them that's what we should be doing. And what I'm praying for, and especially in our seniors this year, is that I get a group of seniors that will stand up and say, enough's enough. I'm not going to go that way. There's the parties. They're there. And there's the drinking, and there's the, there's the drugs. They're there. There's the sex, and it's there. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I've got a group of seven, nine, I've got a group of nine people right now that are fasting every Wednesday. If you want to join that, let me know. I'll text you and you'll get it. And I've got a new phone, so last week it kind of got all messed up. So, but I've got, I think I've got my phone figured out how I can send out those text messages. So it'll all be coming again to everybody this week. But if you want to be a part of that, I, and all I ask you to do is skip one meal and while you're doing it, pray for the things that I put in that text message. Pray about it. Man, it's awesome. It's awesome. I haven't even asked any of the kids how that's going yet. But I'm telling you, it's awesome. Because anytime you can spend focused time with God, it's an awesome thing. Okay, I'm running out of time. Let me get in here. Verse 22 through 25. Servants, this, the, now he shifts to employees and employers. Because when he wrote this, people were either slaves or had slaves. And I think the same principle applies to us today as employers or employees. Let's take a look. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There is no favoritism. It is clearly defined in verses 22 and 23 what the manner of obedience is. He says, in all things, except, of course, if they're asking you to violate God's principles. They're asking you to steal money, refuse to do it. Well, they'll fire me. Better to leave that kind of a company anyway. You don't need to be around them. Well, in this day and age, though, Pastor, I don't know about having a job. God will provide for you. Now he's calling you to faith, isn't he? Now he's calling you to faith. Brad Caleb wanted to be back in the jinx system. Three years. Three years. But he kept being persistent, kept being persistent, kept being persistent. And then like an old tick they couldn't get rid of, they said, come on. <laughs> no. No, it was the right time to come. And he's coming just at the time when Braden now is a freshman in high school. And guess who Braden's coach is in the ninth grade? <laughs> You think Braden's going to be fooling around? Mm-mm. Not only that, but he's got a mother at home that pray with him too when he gets there. <laughs> so, you see. Now, Bryce, we don't have to worry about her. She's, she's all right. Braden, we're always worried about Braden. No, I'm teasing you. But see how God wove that thing? He wove that thing to make it happen in their life. And that's awesome. That's awesome. But you stay. And also, he says, he says, don't do it for eye service. Don't perform just so your master can see you and go, whoo, what a good hand. And then when they're out of the room, you're stealing them blind. And you're not stealing stuff. You're stealing them blind when you steal time. Well, I'm just not very busy. Well, make yourself busy. Find a way to get busy. Get excited. Get up and get going. He says, don't be men pleasers. You know anybody like that that you work with? <laughs> He says, with sincerity of heart. That means singleness. That Greek word means singleness. Simplicity. Mental honesty. Wow. He goes on to say, and fearing God. It's the Greek word uh, phobio. We get our word phobia from it. It It means to reverence, to treat with reverential obedience. It's God whom we should be Concerned is watching us more than our bosses are watching us. Because God sees everything you do. You want to go out and act like a knothead, a knucklehead? God's going to see that. You want to do things you shouldn't do that Christians shouldn't do? God's going to see that too. You know what I thought was interesting? And Jeff was telling me that uh, Jace, Jace uh, he was beating up on him, I guess, in the scrimmage game. And he come off the field and he wanted to, normally he would have turned around and cussed back at him, wouldn't he? But he looked at his dad and he said, I'm a Christian now and I can't do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Bite that tongue. Because you win. If a guy's going to lower himself to cuss you out and you just smile at him and walk away, you win. You have the power. Well, what if that guy beats me up? Oh, come on. You got your brothers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and David. (laughs) We'll go find them and visit with them. Amen? That's right. I'll take Brother Don with me anytime, six foot and nine. Ain't no problem. 
we need to, we'll break down at six foot ten. We pray with them. Amen. Your God is greater. And your God will crush their testimony. You stand with God. Every time it'll work. Every time. Now jump down to chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Be just, he says. Be fair, he says. Do the same thing to them. Don't threaten. Give up threatening, he says. In other words, practice the golden rule. The way you want to be treated, treat others. I love the stories of companies that are thriving in the midst of our economy. And the reason they are is the CEOs that are high up, they don't take the big bonuses. They take all of that and they spread it throughout the company. Because they have nothing if these folks don't have anything. Right? But greed will drive some of these guys. I love, the, I love the one guy that testified about it. He said, I have the best health insurance in the world because it's the same health insurance that my CEO has. That's the one thing I haven't heard yet an answer to when somebody asked the, the uh, Congress people, will you take the same insurance that you're asking us to take? That seems like a reasonable question, doesn't it? Have you noticed how fast they backtrack on that? We need to pray for them, don't we? That their hearts will be open. We need to pray for them that God will penetrate the stiffness that they have within them. Now, what I've been trying to say with this, simply this. In Colossians 2, 3, it said of Christ, in whom all are, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The wisdom and knowledge that comes from Christ reaches to the relevant needs that you and I face today. No matter how secular or mundane they may be. And this passage in Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1 examines and illustrates that fact. In Christ, we are all complete, according to Colossians 2, 10. But imagine how complete our families, our workplaces would be if we followed the guidelines that we talked about today. Revealed by Paul in this passage. Families living together in love and harmony. Workplaces filled with considerate, productive people. We may not be able to change society totally, but at least we can start with ourselves. And if you change yourself, it will change others. If every dad would love his wife like he loves, like Jesus loved the church, if every wife would submit to the authority of her husband, if every child would be obedient to their parents because it's the right thing to do, if every employer would treat his employees like he would want to be treated, and if every employee would work as though it's unto God that I'm pleasing, not unto man. Oh my, what a difference it would make. Now, you may be here this morning going, wow, boy, preacher, that's a tall order. I don't know if I could ever attain that. Alone, no. With the cross, yes. So I invite you. I invite you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity this morning just to speak to this wonderful group of people that I call my family. Father, for a lot of years, they truly have been my family. And in families, we all make mistakes. We all, we all do things we wish we hadn't done. But the great news about families is you find love. 
And so today, 